out this morning. It's good for us to be back home with y'all. We enjoyed our visit with our brother, but it's always good to be at home, especially worshiping with, with the brethren here. This morning, we're going to talk about uh, the first part on com contentment. Um, during this time of year, everyone's in a rat race just to see what they can obtain, just to see what they obtain. But we're not just going to deal with physical contentment, but we're going to deal with spiritual contentment and, and contentment in what, what the Lord has said and stuff. And, and so we're going to go to 1 Timothy and really uh, chapter 6 and really see uh, what we are to be content with. But the first point I want to make is contentment with what we need, what God has said that we truly need in life to survive. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, as Frank had read this morning, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so we should live a, such a life that we represent God very, very well. We should have be very gracious and thanking to God and that we should be content with what we have. And then we would have great gain. And why is one to be content? Well, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And so we were born with nothing, and when we die, we're just going to leave our earthly possessions to those that are, are behind, whether it be uh, given to the state or we have loved ones or what, what have you. But we have brought nothing into this world, and we can take none of our possessions with us. Job says in Job chapter 1, verse 21, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so we know that Job, he had much possessions, and, and God allowed Satan to, to take his, his children and to take his, his, uh, all his possessions from him. And, and Job saying, The Lord gave, and the Lord took away. But I, I came from my mother's womb with nothing, and I'm going to return with nothing. And he still is giving blessings to the name of the Lord. And so that, that is very godly of him to give that he was content with whatever, whatever he was in, whether he had much possessions or when he had none. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15, Solomon writes, As he came forth as his mother womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And so as we're on this earth and we're working, we're not going to take any of those things that we have physically earned. All that we can take with us is we hope that we have laid up spiritual things in heaven. What has God said a man needs? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. God says there's certain things that we're going to need but that we should be content with those things. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus speaking, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall, or what ye shall drink, or yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? And so Jesus is saying, don't take any thought on, on these things. Don't take thought on what you're going to eat, drink, and the raiment. And in verse 33, he says, But seek ye first, put the kingdom of God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. You can't just put the church first. You also have to put his will first. You have to put God's righteousness first. And all these things should be added onto you. And so if we're doing what God wants us, he's not going to let his people suffer. He's going to give them those blessings. 
then we are to be what? We are to be content with what we receive, that is, food and raiment. In Psalms chapter 34, verses 9 and 10, the psalmist writes, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for as there is no want to them that fear him, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And so here it's saying that us being saints in the church, we being his people, that we are to fear God in, in reverence. So we, we will have no want because if we fear God, we're going to do his, his righteousness. We're going to be seeking the Lord's will first. And so then we will not lack these good things that God says that we will need. What did God bless the children of Israel in the wilderness with? In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from the heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they walk in my law or no. And so he's saying, I'm going to feed them, but I'm going to prove them. I'm going to see if they are truly walking in my law, if they are truly content with what I say, or if they're not. And then Exodus chapter 16, verse 15. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord had given you to eat. And so God blessed them. He blessed them miraculously with this bread from heaven. The Lord provided them food. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and say, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why shot child with me? Where, wherefore do you tempt the Lord? But what did God do? He blessed them yet again. In verse 6 it says, Behold, I will stand before thee there, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so God gave them water to drink. He First he fed them with manna, and then he gave them water from a rock. Well, what did God bless the children of Israel? Another way that he blessed them. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, it says, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxing old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxing old upon thy foot. He blessed them with clothes that did not age, clothes that did not wear out. He gave them their raiment, for 40 years, they wore the same clothes. So God provided them with raiment that did not ruin. Were the children of Israel content? Well, we can go back to that manna. Were they content with the manna that God was feeding them from heaven? In Numbers chapter 11, verse 13, When should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep on me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. And so they were not content with the manna any longer. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, ye, God tells Moses, Ye shall not eat one day, or two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that you have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? And so they were not content with what God had blessed them with. They cried for it, and God's going to say, that's fine. You want this? I'm going to give it to you, and I'm not going to just give it to you for a couple of days. No, you're going to eat, and you're going to eat, and you're going to eat until it comes out of your nostrils. 
Because why? Because they have despised the Lord which is among them. They were not content with the blessings from God. And in Numbers chapter 11 verse 21, uh, 31, And there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it was a day journey on the other side. And so here's all these quail. And you could walk for a, a, a day's journey, and you would find quail. Or you could walk this way, a day's journey, and there was quail. And it was all the way around the camp, the camp, round about the camp. And it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. So it wasn't just the ground was covered. This was very deep, very deep with quail all around the camp. And then we are to work with contentment. That's, that's point number two. How is one to receive these blessings from God? Is it going to be miraculously? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And so we are told we are going to work to receive these blessings from God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, after they're exiled from the Garden of Eden, what did God tell Adam? He said, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for thus thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so God told Adam that they would be, he would work in order to eat. When they were in the Garden of Eden, did they receive the blessings of God without work? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, And the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To dress it and to keep it. Adam was to do work while he was in the garden. When we work, we are to be content. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, let us, as many servants are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And so in the context, is referring to slaves and their masters. But we can make application from this. Those who are our bosses, we are to respect their position. They are worthy of that honor. Why? So they do not speak evil of God, nor his doctrine. We being Christians, we are to follow the doctrine of Christ, and if we murmur against those in charge, we may bring what? Reproach against the church. That's what, it, what, it, what it's saying. Those days when they were servants to those masters, they were to do it with honor. Those masters were to receive honor. We are to work with contentment when we have bosses who are not Christians, not saying we can't look for other work. However, we should not talk evil of our work or our bosses. It says so that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus taught, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your work which is in heaven. If we murmur and complain at work, or is, or is God going to be glorified by it? If we're not content at work, is God going to be glorified by it? No, it's by our example at work that we should be bringing those of the world to Christ. Our desire should be all that come to the knowledge of the truth, his doctrine. And we do not want our words or action or our lack of contentment to sever that opportunity. But what about when we have a Christian boss? In verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 it says, And they have believing masters 
Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. And so we're not to despise or dislike your Christian bosses. We're not to have that envy because they're in a position over us. We are not to despise them. Why? Because they are faithful to the Lord and are beloved of the Lord. First John chapter 4, verse 11, John writes, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also should love one another. We should work hard for them. Why? They are receiving the benefits from our labors. It says they are the partakers of the benefit. They are the partakers of the work that we are doing. We are again to work with contentment. If at the offering we thank God for our jobs that provide for us and then we murmur against those jobs, are we not murmuring against the blessings of God? We have to be careful what we say in prayer and then we go and do just the opposite. When we're saying we are thankful for the jobs that provide, that we're able to give this offering, but then we go to work and we murmur against this blessing that we said was in, in the church setting that it was a blessing from God for us to have this work. We have to be careful what we say. We don't, we got to be content. Like I said, it's not that we can't look to better ourselves, but while we're at work, we shouldn't be speaking evil of the work that we're doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And so, if we're, we don't have a Christian boss, we're not going to bring offense against him being a spiritual Gentile, so to speak. We're not going to give him an offense because really when we give him offense, we're bringing that against the church of God because we represent Christ. And then we're not seeking our own profit, but we're seeking the profit of those that we labor with so that they may be saved. This sums it up. If we have a boss that is an unbeliever or a boss that is a Christian, we don't do what is best for us, but what is best for them. It's all about salvation putting the kingdom first. You seek the kingdom of God. In everything that we're doing, we're putting the kingdom first. Even at our jobs, we're putting the kingdom first so that we can do what? We can teach others of the way of the Lord so that they too can be saved. But what about in the church? How are we to work in the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, you are God's building. And so we are working together. We are working together with God. He, he gives the increase from the work that we do. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer writes, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for it is unprofitable for you. And so elders are looking out for the best of the flock, Submitting or obeying to their rule is showing contentment. When they, when they give an account, they hope to do it with joy and not grief. However, if error is being taught or things are being done contrary to the doctrine of Christ, those things need to be wrought out. That's not, that's not showing discontentment. That's showing putting the kingdom first. It's showing that you care about your brethren around you and you don't want false doctrine being taught. You don't want things contrary to the doctrine where the church is going to suffer. That's what the, what the elders are to do. They, have to, they watch for the souls of the church. 
and that at that day they're going to give an account. Are we going to do it with joy? Because we did it in such a way that there's going to be those that made it? Or are we going to do it with grief? Because we didn't, the elders maybe didn't do the job that they should have done to make sure that the flock made it to heaven. And then we have to look to how, how did it end for those who tried to overthrow God's leaders, that is Moses in the wilderness. In Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohag, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eli, Eli and On, the son of Peli, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses, which certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And so they didn't go just find anybody. No, they went to find the renown, the men that were famous in the congregation, people that were well known. They wanted that influence. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And so they're saying, We're not happy with you being our leaders. We can lead ourselves. We're going to overthrow you. We are not content with the way God has set it up. Numbers chapter 16, verse 11. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? And so what were they doing? They were murmuring and complaining against the leaders of God. And they were murmuring, in effect, they were murmuring against God. And I didn't put it in my slide, but when, uh, when they wanted the king, he said, they're not murmuring against you, they're murmuring against me. They have not rejected you, they've rejected me. And, and so we see time and time again that the, the nation of Israel murmured against God. And so here they are, they're not content with the way God set things up, and they're murmuring. Numbers 16, verses 28 through 30. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works. He's going to say, you're going to know that God has put me in charge for I have not done them of my own mind and so here he's saying he's he's giving the credit to God he's he's humble he's saying you're gonna know that God's in this he says if these men die the common death of all men or if they be visited after the visitation of all men then the Lord have not have not sent me and so he's he's saying if you just die because of natural causes you're not gonna know that the Lord is with me but so that you know that the Lord is with me He's going to make a new thing. Verse 30. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have what? Provoked the Lord. They provoked the Lord by their murmuring against Moses and Aaron. Moses gave God the glory. He also didn't say that these will just die. Everyone is destined to die. That's what the Bible teaches. Moses said it would be a new thing, something that Moses could not have done on his own. Numbers chapter 16, verses 31 through 33. And it came to pass as he made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korath and all their goods. 
they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And so that was that new thing. Those that had went against Moses and Aaron, but who were they ultimately going against? They were going against God. They were not content with God. But what about those 250 renowned men? Numbers chapter 16, verse 35. And there came out fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that what? Offered incense. Why? Numbers chapter 16, verse 40. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said him by the hand of Moses. They were not authorized to offer incense to the Lord. They were not content with the law of Moses. The law of Moses said who was to give incense to the Lord. It was from the tribe of Levi they were allowed. It was going to be from the priesthood they were allowed to offer incense. But what about contentment with the doctrine of Christ? Contentment with the doctrine of Christ is point number C or number three. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to what? The doctrine, which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh what? Envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the true, Supposing that the gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. And so if there's those in there that are not content with the doctrine of Christ and they want to teach something other, Paul tells Timothy, you withdraw from those, those people that are false teachers. This was a warning of those who would not be content with the doctrine of Christ. As we just noted, that could be ones who are not content with those who God has selected to be elders through the doctrine of Christ. I, uh, the example would be the qualifications in the, of an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. It, it can also refer to the way we worship. Remembering offering incense was a part of the worship in the law of Moses. John chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So not only do you have to have the right attitude, but you have to do it by what we are authorized to do it. We have to do it in truth. It comes from the word of God, how we are to conduct worship. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we're going to see those that were authorized to offer God worship, but it was rejected by God. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, remember it had to be from the seed of Aaron to offer incense, took either of them its censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered what? Strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. That strange fire was not authorized by the God, by God our Father. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And so here we had two instances. We had 250 men that offered incense unto the Lord that they were not authorized to offer that worship to God. Here we have two men that were authorized to offer that worship to God, and it was rejected. Unlike the 250, these two men were authorized to offer worship to God, being of the tribe of Levi. 
being the seed of Aaron. However, they offered God what they wanted instead of what he wanted. They refused to be content with his will. Two separate instances, worship that was not accepted because they were not authorized to offer it and worship that was that was not accepted by those who were authorized, that was not accepted by those who were authorized to offer it. However, both the 250 and Aaron's son suffered the same fate. Remember, there was fire that came from the Lord and consumed the 250, and then there was fire that came from the Lord in this instance and consumed Nadab and Abihu. Does this happen today? And if so, how does it happen? The answer is yes. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Paul's giving Timothy this warning. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure what? Sound doctrine. They will not endure, they will not be content with the doctrine of Christ. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, the doctrine of Christ, and shall be turned unto fables or unto lies. They will go to what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. They are not to be content with the word of God. Are there ones today who offer up worship to God who are not authorized to do so? Well, we'd have to see who is authorized to do it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter writes, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so there are those that are authorized to offer worship to God. But it's a holy priesthood. The priesthood changed and it's no longer the tribe of Levi. This priesthood is acceptable to God and we have to notice too that the priesthood is singular. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, Peter writes, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past you were not a people, but now are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so in time past, whether they were Gentiles, they didn't know God, they had no hope. Or perhaps it was the Jewish nation that were living their lives in such a way that brought dishonor to God and and as they were told on the day of Pentecost to repent of those ways and bring themselves back to God. But they were, they were afar off. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, but now in, or not Corinth, Ephesus, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so we know now the difference. They were not in Christ, and now they're in Christ. Those who were made nigh by the blood of Christ are in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto what? A holy temple in the Lord. And so as we add uh, more, more to the kingdom of God, they're getting added to this building one piece at a time. Christ being the, the, the chief cornerstone, and then the apostles were added, and then those on the day of Pentecost were added. And today, as people obey the gospel of Christ, they're added, but they're being framed into a holy temple to the Lord. The Levites offered worship to God in the temple. 
The new priesthood is the temple. This priesthood was made nigh by the blood. What is the priesthood? In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul telling the, the, the elders at Ephesus, he's saying, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. So he's talking to the congregation there at Ephesus. Over to which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers. That's, that's also how we know he's talking about elders. To feed what? The church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so we know that Christ died on the cross. And so it's the church of Christ here. Because he's the one that shed his blood on the cross, not God the Father. The priesthood is the church of Christ. Those outside of the body or the church of Christ worship God in vain. But why did they do this? Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. But in vain did they worship me, teaching for doctrines. Notice that's plural. The commandments of men. And so they are not content with what's in the Bible, but they go and seek something that pleases their ears. They're turned on to lies. Turn on to fables. They are not commit content with what the Bible say, says, their modern-day Korah and his men. Those outside imitate true Christians. Is there an example of imitating Christians in the New Testament? In Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, which we didn't even make it to this passage this morning, so it worked out good. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one, Seba, uh, Sebaba, I don't know how to pronounce that, a Jew and the chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? These Jews imitated what they, had, what they saw, and they tried to do it by the authority of Christ. The evil spirits quickly told them that they knew Jesus and Paul, but not them. What did Jesus say would be the penalty of those who imitate being a Christian? Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus gave this warning. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth what? The will of my Father which is in heaven. So you have to do the will of the Father. Many will say, in me, uh, say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out, have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never. He didn't say, I want you to knew you. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so here he's saying that I never knew you. Just as these men were trying by the what they had seen, they were trying to imitate what Paul was doing. But the, the evil spirit said, we don't know who you are. We know Jesus, the man that you're trying to do it by his authority. And we know Paul who's actually exercising this ability, but we don't know you. And so he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so in that day, the day of judgment, many will think they were Christians. However, they never did the Father's will in becoming a Christian. They will be cast into the lake of fire. How about in the Lord's church? Are there instances where those who are authorized to offer worship offered what is not authorized for worship? Well, I go to one of the five acts of worship, and that's singing. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writing to the church at Colossae, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, gracing your hearts to the Lord. And so here he's telling them, we, we can see from here it's saying singing. It's going to be a cappella. It's not playing. He doesn't say to play. He doesn't say to strum and so on. But he says to sing. We also notice that he says one another. So it, it says it's uh, congregational. As Frank was leading us in singing this morning, he was singing to us. We were singing to him. We were singing to one another. So that rules out solos, quartets, choirs, and so on. This was authorization by God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, the very next verse, it says, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, we know that phrase means by his what? His authority. What we have been given authority to do. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We had had a study on this phrase numerous times. In the name of the Lord Jesus simply means by his authority. So, when musical instruments were offered in the worship service of the Lord's church, it happened. It was not accepted. They were modern-day Aaron's sons. Those who offered it were not content with God's authority in the matter. Just as Paul told Timothy to withdraw from them that teach contrary to the doctrine of Christ, we are to heed the same, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3-5. through 5. The Christian church was born, born of men, in 1859. When they decided to bring what into the worship service? They decided to bring musical instruments and the church of Christ had to withdraw from them. Who does this church belong to? Well, I'm going to use this term loosely, Christians. They're, they're not really true Christians because they're not doing what the word of God authorizes. They believe they are still pleasing God, but they are not worshiping God in truth. Who does the church of Christ belong to? It belongs to Christ. See, when you say the Christian church, it's their church. But when you say the church of Christ, we're saying that the church belongs to Christ. Just as you see on our sign, we took the, the, the made the sign with the little C because it's not about us. All the glory is to go to God. We did not shed our blood on the cross. We do not bring any glory to ourselves we're bringing it to christ and christ alone and so when we say we are the church of christ it's because it belongs to christ it belongs to the one who died on the cross there's also uh in romans chapter 16 verse 16 salute one another the churches of christ salute ye and so we can see the authorization of us using that 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 name that that um The, the name of the church of Christ. D, we are to be content with what we have. I believe this is our last point this morning. And what are the dangers when we are not content with what we receive from God? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And so notice it says they that will be rich. They want to be rich. Not those that are already rich but those that want to be rich. We're going to deal with those that are rich later on in, the, in our study. But this one says that they are willing to be rich. They desire to be rich. They fall into temptation and a snare and the many foolish and hurtful lusts. See, just as you murmur and complain against your bosses, if you're trying to do it in such a way that it's going to elevate you and that you can take their position, 
That's, that's, that's wrong. It's hurtful. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. For, see, money's not evil. It's the love of it. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so it's, it's that willing to be rich. They covet after it. The sin is not being rich. The sin is the love of money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus teaches, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so if you go to Strong's Concordance on that, you will see that mammon means wealth. And so you cannot serve God and you cannot serve wealth. If you're willing to be rich, well, you're not, you're not willing to do what God has commanded. You're not, you're not serving him. You're serving self. Paul warns of those who coveted of money had erred from the doctrine of Christ. Covetousness is sin. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writing to the church of Colossae, he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so it tells us here that covetous is idolatry. We either serve God or we serve what we covet. We're either worshiping God or we're worshiping what we covet. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Paul tells the church at Rome, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that what? Henceforth we should not serve sin. And so if we're coveting over after things, we are sinning. And we're no longer to serve that sin. We do not serve sin when we serve God. An example of coveting and uh, something with monetary value. I go back to 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab the king of Samaria. And Ahab spake on the Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard. He coveted the vineyard of Naboth, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is as near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the, the, the worth of it in money. And so he coveted after it. Now he did offer to pay for it or to, to barter. What is Naboth's response? And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me. And so it wasn't the Lord's will for Ahab to get this vineyard. That I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And so he's not to give what he has unto Ahab. And Ahab came into the house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. And of course, we know that he made he, he told his wife, and then his wife went through the acts of having Naboth killed. So that's where we're going to go now. What came from this covetousness? First Kings chapter twenty-one, verse thirteen. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. And so King Ahab was not content with his vineyards, but desired mm -hmm. Naboth's vineyard 
and Naboth died as a result. Covetous does not just deal with things of value or monetarily. What about an example of coveting something that is not authorized? 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2 through 4. And it came to pass in the evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, of, from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one, saw, one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? This woman was not authorized to be desired by David. This wife, woman belonged to another man. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in on him, and he laid with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her own her house. David coveted another man's wife. He lay with her thinking no one would ever know. Second chapter, Samuel chapter 11 verse 5, and when the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And so now she has sent for David and she says, I have conceived uh, a child from you. So did, what did David ultimately do to hide his transgression? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and, that he may be smitten and die. This is a sad thought. Uriah delivered his own execution letter. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 16, through, uh, 16 and 17. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city, so he's looking at the city, that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew the violent men were. He knew where the heat of the battle was. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. David's sin of covetousness led to one sin after another sin after another sin until ultimately Uriah was killed because David was not content with refraining from lying with Bathsheba. He was not content with not doing what was not authorized. Lord willing, we'll finish this series next week. We'll do part two. We live before a truly great God, blessing us in so many ways. And we offer thanks, but we watch the world and they're never content. They're always going and getting, getting, getting more and more and more. They're always getting more and more stuff. But we should just be content with the simple word of God. We should be content with just food, water, and raiment. It's very humbling what God has told us what we need, but how we can always um, be tempted by those things of the world and we think that those are what we need. And so if there's someone here this morning that's not a Christian, we offer the invitation so that you can truly worship God in spirit and truth. That you can be content with what God has authorized to become a Christian. That you can be content with what God has authorized for the worship service. That starts by hearing the word of God because that's the only way we know what he's commanded. Romans 10, 17. 
then you must believe what the Word of God says, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He lived that sinless life, that He died on the cross to purchase His church, His priesthood. In John chapter 20, 20, verses 30 and 31, it says it's by these words that are written in this book that we believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And then we must repent. We must be content to know that we have to say no to self and serve God only. We have to repent of our evil, lustful ways and we must turn to God. That's what Jesus told them, that if they did not repent, they would likewise perish in Luke 13, 3 and 5. Then we must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, if you believe it, why not confess it? Just as the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And then you must allow someone to immerse you in water so that you can have your sins washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. So that you'll be added to his church, you'll be placed in Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And then you must live that faithful life until death. See, we, we have just read where Paul's given the warning. There's going to be those ones that leave the truth. They were Christians, but they left the truth because they didn't, weren't content with what the Word of God has told us to do. So if there's any today that perhaps you have let yourself go back into the world, you have been drawn away by your lust because you're not content with just the simple things that, life is, that God has told us that we truly need then we can, you can come forward and ask for the prayers of the church. If we can assist you in either way, we ask you to come to the front as together we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you. Uh, um, it's always good to see everyone's face as we try to be pleasing to God's sight and worship Him in spirit and truth. Uh, this morning we're going to continue with our, our study on contentment. This will be part two in our final of this series. And it, it all stems from the verse that... Uh, Frank read for us this morning, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. And so the Bible teaches that one should be content with their own uh, talents. An example of this, in Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peacefully unto him. But there was other reasons why they hated Joseph. It wasn't just because his father showed more affection towards him. Uh, Israel showed his love for Joseph was more than his other sons by giving him a coat of many colors. Joseph's brothers were not content with the measure of love they received from their father Israel. In Genesis chapter 37 verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And so Joseph was given the ability to dream dreams. He's going to be given the ability to interpret those dreams. These were, these were abilities that God had bestowed upon Joseph. And his brethren were also mad at Joseph because of these abilities that God gave him. They were not content with the abilities they received of God. What did their hatred lead to? Genesis chapter 37, verse 11. And his brethren, brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. And this was after he gave the dream. And so his brethren were very envious of him, but his father, he remembered the same that Joseph told him. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 18 through 20. 
And when they, talking about his brethren, saw him, Joseph, afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beasts have devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. And so they were very envious of his <clears throat> dreaming. They were not content with their own abilities. They are name-calling because of their envy. Here comes this dreamer. They wanted to kill him, make up a story on how he died to put an end to what? His dreams. The, to make that his dreams would not come into fruition. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 21, And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, talking about Joseph, and said, Let us not kill him. So Reuben came to his senses, and he's like, well, Let's not kill Joseph. In Genesis 37, verses 25 through 27, And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead, with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit it is if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? And so Judah's like, Why kill him? What, what are we going to profit from his death? And what are we going to profit from if we try to hide that we killed him? Come and let him, us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Judah now tells his brethren, let's sell him into slavery. And now his brethren are finally content. If they were content before, they would not have hated their brother. They would not have sold him into slavery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says that there should be no schism in the body. There should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or when one member is being honored and all members rejoice it. We as a church, we must be rejoiced with the abilities that others have. We must um, suffer when, when those are suffering around us. We must give those honor and, and rejoice in their honor when they receive honor. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, we're dealing with spiritual gifts. That's what we're dealing with. 12, he's telling us what the spiritual gifts are. 13, he tells us that they're going to end. And verse 14, that they are misusing these spiritual gifts. Verse 12, it said, Even so ye, for as much as you are jealous, uh, zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. However, they seem to covet speaking in tongues over all other spiritual gifts. That's what he's dealing with in chapter 14. They coveted speaking in tongues. And Paul is reminding them that the purpose of these spiritual gifts were what? To edify the church. He, sees, he says, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Use what they were given and be content. We should not cover the abilities of others in the church. Now in this text, it's talking about in the miraculous sense, but we can make, uh, we can make application in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, he said, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 9, now that he has ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same that also ascended up far above all heavens that he might fulfill 
all things. And so from here we're getting that Christ left heaven, he came to earth, and then he ascended back. And then notice that he said, above all heavens. That takes us back to the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. He returned back to the fourth heaven to be with the Father. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for what? The perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so everyone has their own ability that they can do in order to help the body of Christ be edified. For everyone has a part to contribute to the work of the Lord. Members of the body of Christ are to use their abilities given by God for perfecting the saints. That would be elders and pastors. That's what a pastor is. It's an elder. It's another word for an elder. For the church work of the ministry, that would be evangelists. And for the edifying of the body of Christ, teachers. And, and even when you're, you say, well, I can't teach a class. I'm going to go over uh, real quick to the book of Colossians. In chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so this morning, as we are here worshiping God and we're singing to one another, we are teaching one another by those songs that we're singing. We're admonishing or edifying one another with those songs that we're singing to God. And so even when you say, oh, I cannot be a teacher, every time we come together and we meet on the Lord's Day and we are singing to the glory of God, we are teaching and admonishing one another. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, this is when Paul is at meeting with the elders there at Ephesus. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over to which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. And so the overseers, that's another word for elders, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, to feed the church, that means to perfect the saints, as we had seen earlier. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Well, what are they to feed the church? What are they to make sure that the church is being fed? And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, edify, and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. And so it's by the word of God that we are built up. It's by the word of God that we are going to have that hope of that heavenly home if we're trying and striving to be pleasing to God by living by his word. The word of his grace must be taught, fed, by teachers, preachers, which is able to build up, edify the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And so he's telling him, they are to, the evangelists are to do the work of the ministry. They are to, to make sure that the word is going out to the lost. And so he's given... Timothy, this great duty, he says, make full the proof of thy ministry. He says, do the work of an evangelist. We must be content with our abilities given and use them for the glory of God. If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to read a parable. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered on them his goods. 
And on the one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his own ability, several ability, it just means his own ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that hath received five talents came, talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained, and besides them, five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not straw. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there that thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knowest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not straw. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which have ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. <coughs> and cast ye the unprofitable servant, in the outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so in this, of course, in the parable, it's dealing with money. But those, those talents, he, he gives certain abilities to certain in the church, and they're to use those abilities to the glory of God. Those who, are, we are not to hide or refuse the use of that talent that God has given us. Everyone has an ability to work in the Lord. Did Joseph hide his abilities after he being rebuked by his father? We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 and 10. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made um, obstinance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee on the earth? And so here Joseph is dreaming his dreams. He's telling it to his father and to his brethren, and then his father rebukes him. Now to some that would be <coughs> enough motivation to, to not use that talent any longer. But God uses Joseph to accomplish much good. In Genesis chapter 41, verses 39 through 43 and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto the word shall my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. <coughs> and so G uh, Joseph had just gave a dream and the interpretation thereof of that dream 
And because of this, Pharaoh is going to make him second in command. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over the land, all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in the vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bowed the knee, and he made him a ruler over all the land of Egypt. And so his brethren thought they were doing him much a disservice by selling him into Egypt in the captivity. Joseph was still content to use his ability that God gave him. Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 7. And Joseph said to, unto his brethren, this is when they, when they came to him and they were seeking the corn. And he says, come near to me, I pray you. And they that came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For those two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. <coughs> they meant to do harm to Joseph, but Joseph tells them that God had a hand in all that happened. This was God's providence. Joseph could only could have easily been mad at his brethren. However, he put others first. Again, salvation is key. In Genesis chapter 46, verses 2 and 3. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will make thee a great nation. And so it was through Jesus that God fulfills the nation promise made back to Abraham when he made the nation, the land, and the seed problems promised to Abraham. And so he fulfills this by putting Joseph in Egypt so that he could preserve the nation of Israel. It is through us that the work of the church will get done. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, Peter writes, <coughs> If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man ministers, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And so it shows here that God gives us our abilities. We can have the ability to minister. We, we are all to be servants. Jesus was the example of being that, that great minister. He didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister to many. And so we are all to be able to do it with the ability that God gives us. Point number, well, I'm going to say F. Uh, this would be point six. Uh, content with our trust in God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the holy living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And so earlier in the chapter, if you recall from last week, he had dealt with those who desired or willed to be rich. And so he was saying that was the wrong attitude that they were coveting after money. Here he's speaking to those brethren that are already wealthy. And he's, telling, he's giving them a warning not to be high-minded. 
He's not condemning people being rich. He is condemning the attitude associated with being rich, and that would be one of high-mindedness. That's the Greek word there. This word is found in Romans chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. It says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Remember, this is talking about where the, the natural branches were broke off from, from the, the vine of God and that the, the Gentiles were, were um, trying to think of the word, engrafted into the vine. And so he was giving the warning to those Gentiles. He says, well, because of unbelief, talking about the Jews, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. And he's saying, don't be high-minded. He says, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. And so the Gentiles were not to be high-minded, not to think too highly of themselves. Well, unfortunately, those of the world that are rich, they're high-minded. Their trust are in their riches, and it's not in the living God. Success in the world does not equate to spiritual success. In Mark chapter 10, verse 24, and the disciples were astonished at his word, words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that what? Trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And so he's given that parable of it would be harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he's saying, but it's not because they're rich. It is because they trust in riches. It's don't trust in what you may lose tomorrow. In Proverbs 23, verse 5, Solomon writes, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. And so if we put our trust in our riches, one day we may have them, but the next day they may be gone. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. And so we're not to be hoarders of our riches. Those who trust in worldly possession will lose hope or become bitter if they lose them. Matthew chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. Remember this man came to Jesus and he was asking him how he may uh, go into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect or complete, go and sell that that thou hast and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Where was this trust? Was it in God, or was it in his possessions? Those in, in the church who are rich are to lay in store for them. They are, are they to lay in store for themselves? In Luke chapter twelve, verses sixteen through twenty-one, Jesus speaking another parable. He spake a parable unto them, saying, "The ground of a certain rich man brought forth." Plentiful. And so here we're, we're clearly being told that it was the ground that was giving the plenty. It was nothing to do with what the man did. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no more than where, where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my, my soul, soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink. And be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then those shall those things be which thou hast provided. So he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so if we're just worried about these earthly possessions, we can't be rich towards God.
What did Paul tell Timothy for the rich of this world to do with their riches? In verse 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And so those rich in the church can do many good works. One is giving to those in need, ready to distri distribute. It says when that's basically when the opportunity presents itself, they're ready to distribute. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writing to the churches there in the area of Galatia, he said, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are, who are of the household of faith. And so not only are we to do good just for the household of faith, but we are to do good to all men. Opportunity plus ability equals responsibility. Willing to communicate from, from our text. It comes from that Greek word. It means liberally. And so they are to give to give liberally. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, while by this experience, experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subject unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and what? Unto all men. And so they were giving their funds, but the funds were not just going to help the brethren there in Corinth, but it was also helping all men. This verse supports the weekly contribution going to support congregations of the Lord's church and supporting good works outside the church as long as the organization does not promote false doctrine. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, so if they're teaching anything contrary to the doctrine of Christ, he says, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. And so if we're giving our, our funds to uh, false teachers, we are bidding him Godspeed, and we're not to do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? And so what is he saying? He's saying, I, I wasn't a burden to the church here at Corinth. Well, how was Paul able to do this? In verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do what? You service. These verses support supporting a gospel preacher doing work in another congregation who is preaching the gospel of God. What better work to support to those who are not in the church than those who are taking the gospel to the lost? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put one of the works that we support here, and that's the, the TV evangelist, the gospel of Christ. What attitude should the rich have in their riches? In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. So it says that the rich gave a lot. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which makes a farthing. And he called unto his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of what? Their abundance. They just gave God the, the abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. She was content with her trust in God that she gave her all. What should our attitude as a congregation with our funds be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4, through 4, Moreover, brethren, we do, do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, 
how that in great trial of affliction, the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take it upon the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And so even in deep poverty, the churches there in Macedonia gave liberally. It says beyond their power. This reminds me of that lady in the two mites. She gave beyond her power. They gave a gift, expecting nothing in return from it. It wasn't a loan. But what was the purpose? For the purpose of ministering to the saints. Why? Verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Their trust was in the Lord. They put his kingdom and his righteousness first, God's will. In doing so, they were giving themselves to the Lord and the work of Paul. Verse 19, it says, Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. And so by doing these good works with their riches, they're laying up treasures in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break, their, break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so if we're focused on the, the, the horizontal, we're going to lose focus on, on the vertical. This helps with the attitude. Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. That's what he told the young ruler. He said, You have much, go and sell it, and you'll have much treasure in heaven. Matthew chapter 25, verses 33 through 40. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are who, those who obeyed the gospel and did no good works, right? Let's, let's keep reading that. In verse 35, For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Giving to those in need of the basic needs. Remember, what did God say that we need? Food and raiment. Food, water, rain. Well, the basic needs and shelter. The other two that he, he goes over was visitation. And what did James say was pure religion? In James chapter 1, verse 21 to 27, he says, Pure religion undefiled before God and Father is this. To what? To visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And so pure religion is visiting those in need. Even those who do not have the money to give for physical needs of the body can give something more precious. Their time. We all have a responsibility. 
And then our, I believe this is our final point, content with God's word being true. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding what? Profane and vain babblings, and opposition of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith, grace be with thee. And so we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to what? Fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly glorifying which is in faith. So do. And so here he's saying, don't go and teach no other doctrine. Don't get caught up into these lies and this genealogy. In verse 6 he says, From which some have swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. That vain jangling is the same as he said, avoiding profane and vain babblings. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning the faith had made shipwreck. And so some of those people had gotten caught up in this endless genealogy, these fables. We'll take a look at genealogy. Protect Israel. It's God's people. Is that true? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walked according to this rule, be, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God now is, who is he writing it to? In Galatians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And all brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you, and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now the, the, the spiritual Israel is the church of Christ. In Romans chapter 9, verses 6, through seven, uh, six and 7, Paul writing to the church at Rome, he says, Not though the word of God have taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so here we can see that those that are known in, in Israel are not of Israel. They are not in the seed line of the Israelites. They're not Jewish. The Jews thought they were saved by being Abraham's seed. John chapter 8, verse 33, they answered him, we be, talking to Jesus here, we be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, y'all, ye shall be made free? Verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And so he's going to say what? You're trying to kill me just as you killed the prophets. You're not of the seed of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are what? The children of Abraham. Jews do not trust in the word of God. They're still awaiting the Messiah. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, when the time was right, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. 
They say that God's timing was wrong, but God's timing was perfect. At that time, he sent forth his son made of a woman and made under the law of Moses. In Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And we know here he's going into the synagogues. That was the manner that he was. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is what? Is Christ, is the Messiah. He was dealing with it in that day and time, telling him the Messiah had come. And then we're to avoid that profane and wicked those who deny the deity of Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, That thou keepest his commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potent, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Those who deny he is king now, awaiting his earthly kingdom, they are denying that Christ is ruling as king. John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And so it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physically kingdom. It's not a kingdom that's going to, he's going to come back to establish on earth. The kingdom is spiritual. The warfare Paul told Timothy to fight was spiritual warfare, not physical. And then refute the Bible using science. There's many out there today that want to refute the truths of the Bible using science. The Big Bang theorists, the evolutionists, and so on, denying that God exists. However, the Bible explains much of that science phenomenon in our world today. In Psalms chapter 14, verse 1 the psalmist writes, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable, work, abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And so these ones that come up with these theories, what do they want? They want the glory to be given to them, that they came up with some new theory. Um, and so they're not giving God the glory. They're saying that he does not exist. So if there's any here this, this morning that have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, <clears throat> Be content with his truths. Be content with his plan. It starts by hearing the word, Romans 10, 17, so that faith taught by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then you must repent of your sins. That is, to change, have a change of heart produces a change of life. You have to be content with just doing godly things. Luke 13, 3 and 5, Jesus says, I tell you, Nate, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You must be content that he is the Christ, the Son of God, just as the Ethiopian unit did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And then you must allow someone to immerse you in water to have your sins forgiven, to have them washed away, Acts 22, 16. That's what Paul was told by Ananias. And now why tearest thou, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And then at that time you are added to his church, his kingdom. You get to start living that day forward for God, for Christ, with the abilities that God has given you. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. 
and then you must live that faithful life until death. You must be content with just doing the will of God and not your own will, and he will give you that crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Perhaps you have obeyed the gospel, but you have gotten that horizontal view and not that vertical view, and you're laying up treasures on earth and not treasures in heaven. If we can assist you in either way, if you'll come to the front, as together we stand and sing.